Welcome to the Deeper Dive Politics Edition 2020. George, this is a crazy <laughs> year as election years go, which are always crazy wait, wait, years. Wait, 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 there's an, there's an election? When is it? <laughs> <laughs> we might need to go home and read the news. It, it, it's, a, it's a fitting cap to the year 2020 that we would have not only an election, but the most cantankerous election in my lifetime. And one that feels prescient, that feels significant for all that's on the line. I don't know. That's, that's in, as discouraging as this year has been in some ways. Like I was just chatting with um, a woman that's in her seventies recently and to hear that validated from someone, I mean, I'm only 33 years old, so it's easy for younger people, maybe in their 20s, to be like, We've, we're in unprecedented times. Like, Bro, you're 22 years old. Like, chill. There may but, be more precedent than you realize. <laughs> but to hear people that are, you know, a little bit older, maybe a generation or two even older than us, to say, yeah, the, I haven't seen this before this way, sort of validates some of the, the, the tension that maybe that all of us are feeling like, okay, yeah, this is sort of new for all of us on earth this time around the track, at least in our country. So yeah, man, like 2020, bring it on, man. We might as well, we might as well get it in this year. We started a series on Sunday called the public square taken from the disrupted disruptors series in acts, Paul's second missionary journey where arriving ahead of his traveling companions to the city of Athens, a a cosmopolitan, pluralistic, and pagan city, to be sure, full of idols. Paul's distressed, and where he goes is to the public square, where he would discuss these ideas with people and validates, I think, that to be a Christian is to have our primary citizenship in heaven. He made that clear in the letter to the Philippians, but not to forego or forfeit our citizenship on earth, which he made equally clear in his time there with the Philippians and the others. So um, to be a citizen of heaven is to be a citizen of whatever nation we live in on earth and to be a citizen par excellence. God's covenant community is asked, I think, to be dual citizens. Do you buy it? I absolutely do. I mean, I think you see that in the life of Paul, specifically in the lives of so many others throughout Scripture. But you pointed that out on Sunday, right, of of Paul saying two different things that are true at the same time, that that we are not citizens of this world, that we are citizens of a heavenly nation. But then you see him in several places saying, hey, don't think y'all can just treat us this way because I'm a Roman citizen and I sort of know the way these rules work here. So he plays both. And, but I think what you pointed out was so key is to not let those priorities maybe get out of line and begin to give what belongs to God to Caesar um, or the other way around. It seems like God's asking us as his people to be his representatives or his ambassadors in every sphere of human enterprise, in every square, to include the public square. And here's where I think we have to be careful with understanding our identity, identity through the Um, metaphor of dual citizenship. It's not to be bifurcated, where we're like, we have our heavenly existence in heavenly 
concerns. And then we have our earthly existence in the public square. Right. And I think some of us act that way. We kind of separate our two citizenships and we act <laughs> heavenly in the heavenly square, but man, we act very earthly in the public square of our cities. Absolutely. And it seems like Jesus idea is that we elevate the public discourse that yes, we go in. No, we don't forfeit our citizenship on earth because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but that as such, we represent Jesus. Yeah, I, I, we, we've talked about this before in, in uh, past series and ideas on vocation and how we view our vocation. And I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> there's so many people maybe like in our church but that, are, that are artists or that are accountants. And it's amazing how we don't really expect them to do Christian accounting, right? Like they're accountants and they allow their Christianity to infuse or to, to maybe... Uh, to frame how they do their work, or maybe you're you're a painter. Is the only thing you if you paint is the only thing you paint crosses and Jesus. No, you you're a, you're an artist, but but the Jesus in you frames how you do it. And I wonder if the political conversation uh, would benefit from that mindset as well, right? That maybe there isn't a Christian politic, but there is doing politics the way of right. Jesus. Right. I mean, allowing that to frame how you have these conversations and how you think about them. Um, I can't tell you how I've fallen into this as well. That like when you see Christian people on, often happens online, but happens other places, talking politics, you're like, where's, like, oh, you follow Jesus? I would have never known. Like there's F-bombs, there's like all kind of stuff. And you're like, where is all of the, and I think it's because maybe we fall into that trap, like you just said, of separating our, well, this is where I do my, my, my heavenly thing, and this is my earthly citizenship role, and I can just sort of act yeah. and do and say however I want. You know, Right. Jesus had it right when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. But that which we give to Caesar at Jesus' command, we should still do Jesusly. Right. Like, we want to do our earthly citizenship Jesus-ish. I can't tell you, man, like, uh, you've memorized the entire New Testament, so I know you know where this is. But where is it in Acts where it talks about the early... You can't put me in the spotlight. (laughs) The early church where they were called followers of the way. Right. I I sort of... I don't know. I kind of want to bring that back because I think the early church and the early followers of Jesus were known as, like, the way. Like, there there was a way about them. It wasn't so much head, so much of it was beliefs and what they thought and what they believed and how they thought about things, but there was a way that they existed that, that they were known for. It's like a filter superimposed on daily life, and it wasn't so much that they did different things than the people of the world around them, but it was the way, the way they did it. that they did it. So if you're, if you're an accountant, there should be an, a way about you that's different. Uh, if you're an athlete, if you're, uh, if you're a stay-at-home mom, like whatever it is, there's a way, a Jesus way of it. Okay, example, Drew Holiday of the New Orleans Pelicans. He's on the mind because we in Denver, who are basketball fans, sort of covet him yeah. on our team, yeah. and that's a, a remote possibility this year. But he wins the teammate and, um, and player-voted best teammate award Hmm. this year and many years. He's a a committed follower of Jesus and he doesn't demonstrate that by putting crosses 
on his shoes, although, you know, That's there's something too. wrong with yeah. that, yeah. right? Like, or, or starting his interview afterward by saying, but first I want to give all thanks and praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Awesome. But is your life giving thanks and praise to Jesus? Do your teammates see Jesus in you? And his teammates, they may not know or care that he loves Jesus, but what they know and what they care about is that he loves them. Yep. And so the players who are his teammates and who are his opponents around the league voted him best teammate. It's the way that he does it. And I think in the public square, so much of being a citizen of heaven, a follower of Jesus, is in the way that we represent him in the public square and, frankly, the way that we represent him in the voting booth. Absolutely. I mean, this is all going, and you started great, great uh, hosting there. You were turning us to the next topic. But I think, like, to be a disciple of a rabbi in these amazing scriptures that we get to read, it wasn't head knowledge. It was, they would literally follow the rabbi around. They would follow Jesus around. And their goal was to live like him, to speak like him, to walk like him, to, to, to emulate him. And I think sometimes we can lose that as, as I know I can at times um, as a Christian. But as we, as we talk about, faith in the public square in this important conversation in this important year, we have to remember that there's a way we should approach this and we should look and feel like Jesus in the way that we do everything, specifically this. There is a lot to talk about and a lot to unpack over the course of the next three weeks. This podcast, I think, is going to get spicy. Um, spicy. It might get tense. It, it, it's never felt more important, yeah. the conversation. Not us, not you and me, but, but the, the conversation needs to be had. And like we have on other subjects, like racial justice, we're we're wading into turbulent waters, waters that are, are, are turbulent for... The, the family of Christ as much as for the world. And we're not doing it because we think we have the categorical right of it all, but because we want to follow Jesus and, and try to set an example of maybe how to think about and how to talk about these ideas. Yep, yep. But as we broach this broad subject, I want to, I want to change up the sequence okay. from what we're doing on Sunday mornings and begin with the end in mind. And the reason for that is very practical. It's not philosophical. It's that um, more people are voting through the mail and that in itself is contentious this year. But uh, whatever you think about that politically or um, it's the agenda of it, the, the, the practical fact is more people are voting early than ever before. Uh, and so if we wait until the last culminating conversation to talk about how should we then vote, Many of us have already <laughs> done so, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, we missed the train. So uh, let's start with the end in mind and talk about how a Christian, a follower of Jesus, thinks about and approaches voting. Not so much whom we vote for, but how we go about the process of deciding on that complex and, and really challenging subject of voting this year. And then come back and backfill the rest. How's that sound to you? It sounds great. All right, so George, um, why don't you kick us off? Who are you voting for this year? <laughs> I thought you'd never ask. The can God's candidate is no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know where you want to start, but I think, I think uh, for for any of us that have uh, maybe been following Jesus for any length of time or been a part of these kind of conversations, we sort of there's a piece that we know that's really helpful. You you hit on some of it on Sunday about uh, voting our Christ centered our Christ-formed conscience, like the thing that, that God's doing in us that we kind of can't get away from. And I, I, I think that that's so good. And 
Um, Why not vote on our Christ-formed candidate? Find the candidate who's formed in Christ and vote for him, or whose policy reflects Christ's policy agenda and vote for him. Well, here's why. I think if there's one guiding principle that I maybe am stumbling upon right now um, is the reason that doesn't work, in my opinion, is, is because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the, the, the Jesus way is so big and broad that it doesn't fit in any of the major political parties box. It's like, it's like me trying to put my foot in my five-year-old shoe. I can try all day, but it doesn't fit. So he, he holds the whole world in his hands and the government fits on his shoulder. Dang. <laughs> yeah. That's the out of that deep. I mean, like, so to me, I think it starts with an understanding of like, yo, it's not going to fit. All of your faith won't fit with any candidate at any time because the kingdom of God and the Jesus way is so much bigger than any political construct that we could come up with. So for me, one of the guiding things that's been helpful is like, I've been, I've been realizing, man, how hard it feels to vote. You know, I don't know if, I don't know if you felt that way as well, but like, how, how do I like, I got my ballot sitting on my island in my kitchen, just sitting there. And it's like how it feels hard. And I think it's hard because there's a part of us that knows whoever we pick, there's something we're not picking. Right. Yeah, the opportunity cost dynamic, to put it in economic terms, is front and center. Let me take a stab at answering my own question. Why not vote for the Jesus candidate? Because that candidate simply does not exist. But what if you think they do? You're wrong. Hello. <laughs> okay, go. No, so they no, don't I'm exist. Just, they don't, they don't I, exist. Why? Right. Okay, Why? so if you think that that person exists, let's talk about what that means, that there is a candidate who embodies Jesus's political values or the, the scriptural morality uh, to the exclusion of the other candidate or who, who is clearly the Jesus, uh, affiliated with the Jesus party. And um, there is enough clear, irrefutable data about both American political parties of predominance and both elected representatives of those parties, the two remaining can- mm-hmm. candidates, that we can conclusively determine that neither of them is the Jesus candidate. You can't make that conclusion with intellectual honesty. First, Jesus is neither a Republican nor a Democrat. There are aspects of each party planks in their platform, which it would seem more closely resonate with Jesus's values, but neither party encapsulates or even approximates Jesus's ideals. So we can begin there. And then both candidates are not only fallen human beings, but, and representatives of parties that are inexact in their representation of Jesus's values to say the least, but far more so they're not even trying. They don't state that they're trying to represent Jesus's values or embody (laughs) biblical morality. We're trying to force a fit on them, which neither God nor they themselves seem to think uh, is possible. (laughs) 
I think that's a great point. I, I'm sorry. When I get uncomfortable and stuff, I just laugh. So I just, I, I mean, that's a good point. What's uncomfortable? No, no, it's good. Just the, yeah. But like, so I, I would it be, I, I agree with you. I think sometimes, and again, we're going to talk about, right, how to think about this and how to vote from uh, in the way of Jesus and all that. I think that's super important. But I do think it's just ironic in some ways how, we don't put the same onus and expectations on other professions and people that we interact with in our daily lives, right? Like we, we, we sort of have this false assumption that one of these candidates is holding out to, as their goal to be to reflect the heart of Jesus in our country. But like when you, when you have a tumor that needs to be removed, you don't put that on your surgeon. Like, well, what do you think about Leviticus. Like you want to know if they're good at their job, right? You know, like, can you get this out? So I just, I think it's, I think it's fascinating how sometimes we maybe put expectations on the whole thing that it doesn't even hold out. Right. To be. We're not voting for theologian in chief and neither <laughs> exactly. candidate is asking us to see him that way. Exactly. And so that brings up a question that I want to push to a subsequent episode. And that is why do we put that onus on the candidates or the parties? Why do many in mm. the evangelical Christian community uh, try to to create a false one-to-one correlation between um, faith and politics? Wow. Uh, that's a deep well and, and full of murky we'll waters. But let's talk about voting. Okay. Okay. Um, you mentioned being consternated. I, too, have my ballot sitting on my nightstand. I see it every morning when I wake up. I see it every night when I go to bed. And I know that makes it sound like voting is the last thing I think about. And the first thing, it just happens <laughs> to have gotten deposited on my nightstand and I haven't moved it. And the reason I haven't moved it is not that I can't think about anything else. It's that I can't get totally clear on how to think about it. Yeah, I, I, I can think about a thousand other things more um, comfortably than I can think about it. I just feel deeply consternated over voting in the national election. Yeah, I, I resonate with that. And I think I, I think that's the point. You know, like, I, if it's hard, I think that's how it should be for us as followers of Jesus. If neither, like you said, neither candidate of these two or any to come in the future are going to fully embody all of the values of the kingdom of God and be some spitting image of Jesus, if that's not going to happen, and if neither party can fully uh, wrap its arms around all of the values that we tried our best to uh, pursue as Jesus followers, if those things are true, then we know that we're making an incomplete decision at best. And you know what? The closest thing that our country has seen to that guy in the last half century or more, Jimmy Carter, um, a, a, a professed born-again Christian, talked about his sin, his need for salvation, shared the gospel in presidential debates. Many uh, from the opposing political party mm-hmm. changed their affiliation or forewent it in order to vote for the guy that if ever there were one in our lifetime seemed like God's man. Mm. And George, he is universally considered by historians and political analysts as the worst chief executive that our country has seen in the last half century. Like, I I consider myself... In terms of effectiveness. I don't mean worst in terms of moral character or fitness for heaven. I'm talking about fitness for the Oval Office. That's my point. Like, I consider myself to be a, a lover of God and a follower of Jesus. Don't vote for me. 
Right. Because I will be a really bad president. You I will have a quiet time. <laughs> right. I'll pray. I'll, I'll have on worship music and I will not be able to get anything done. Okay. Um, so I guess I, what I was trying to say is that it should be hard for us. And I think maybe that's the point. Um, I've talked to many friends who um, might be voting for uh, the Republican Party and, and Donald Trump. And they're like, I just don't, it's hard for me. Other people voting for, uh, for Biden. And it's like, I just, uh, and I'm like, I honestly, this is my opinion. You can correct me. I honestly don't really care who you're going to vote for personally, because I feel like I can, I can see some Jesus in whatever decision you want to make. Um, and in some value that you're connecting with, that's, that's legitimate. So like who you vote for, I kind of don't really care, um, at that level you know, in that way. But how you're able to do it is what I care more about. Like, if it's really easy for you and you find yourself defending that person at every, at every uh, uh, point and it's super easy for you to support them with just blind, like, I'd be like, I don't, I, I don't, that's more of a problem for me than it being hard for you. Yeah, the categorical loyalty, I think, is where we start to give to Caesar yeah. some of what is God's. Only Jesus deserves our unequivocal and categorical loyalty. We should question all others, and they should be with a degree of consternation and inexactness, because they're inexact at best, even if they were aiming to represent Jesus, all the more so when they're not. They're aiming to represent a political ideology, which may or may not have anything to do with Jesus. Absolutely. Now, it is, um, it's not uncommon that a party uh, will or a party affiliate will look at an issue as the trump card no pun intended yeah. as the um as the um end of discussion issue you know this party adv advocates for this position on this issue nothing else matters yeah. and the fact is they're half right, I think. This yeah, is my opinion now. Sure. This party does, in fact, advocate for this issue, and this issue is important. But in Jesus's mind, it would seem many other things also matter. Right. And so it's the reductionism, not the, not the rationale, that I think becomes um, crosses into the realm of giving something to Caesar that should be God's reducing total uh, loyalty to a person. Um, I think only fits with Jesus. Absolutely, and I mean, like you said, I, 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 whether or not I agree with someone who takes that approach of saying, "Hey, this is the one issue that matters to me, and nothing else that you do or say matters," I may not agree with that, but I understand. I, I understand that, and I think it's just the way of like, if if we can all have an awareness, a self awareness, enough to know that we're doing that. And maybe that we're leaving a lot of other important issues unapproached. Um, right. Then, then at least be aware of that. You know, right? Like, it's certainly your prerogative. <laughs> it's totally I hear you saying to to vote on an issue rather than to evaluate every issue and vote in in, in a comprehensive sense. Very few do that exactly. And our minds aren't 
aren't almost can't do. wired that way. Yeah, yeah. Most everybody votes on a one or a very few issues right. or considerations. It's more of making that issue the only issue that matters normatively. Yep. And then the judgment toward one another that comes That's along the other with side that. of that. That's coin. the problem. We'll come back to the, the judgment when we talk about the way that we treat each other in public discourse. But with regard to our vote, it seems not wrong to vote based on an issue that is, in my judgment, of paramount importance. What else are you supposed to do? Right. (laughs) How do we give to Caesar what is Caesar's if we can't can pick one thing out as the thin slice, as the most um, salient consideration. Um, it's when we when we refuse to acknowledge any other factors, values, or considerations as valid that we start reducing in a way that gives to Caesar what really should belong to God. The fact is, I am going to vote my conscience. And we've heard that said for years, and I think it's wise counsel. I think that every follower of Jesus does well to vote her or his Christ-infused, reformed conscience. Christ is forming me, and I am being formed in him. And as Christ is formed in me and I in him, my conscience is being refined, is being informed by the things that Jesus values. What I've observed in 20 years of pastoral ministry is that no two followers of Jesus experience formation (laughs) in exactly the same way. Right. It's not, that's why formulaic approaches to discipleship are short-sighted and often limited in their effectiveness. Chapter one, you get discipled on this topic and then chapter two on that topic. And after 16 weeks, you are stamp discipled, (laughs) but people don't work that way. Jesus doesn't seem to work that way in us. He doesn't necessarily start with, with step one. He sometimes starts with step 17 because Jesus has a way of meeting people where they're at. And what's most accessible for me, for Jesus to form me, may not be what's in absolute value terms most important to him, but it's where he starts in me. So what's what of Christ is formed in me come election day is all I have to go by if I'm drawing on the Christ in me that is the hope of glory for this nation and our world. And that's going to be what it is. And it's not going to be yet what it's not. That's a great point. It's not necessarily step one or step 10. It's like step green or step blue. Like, I mean, like some, sometimes it's not, the, the number system doesn't even work sometimes because it's, it, 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 it kind of has a hierarchical thing about it. But and I understand some issues may be that way. I think as you talk about Christ forming our conscience, this is something I've been thinking about as well, and I think it's a challenge for, uh, for myself, for all of us, is if Christ is forming and shaping the way we think and feel about certain issues and things like that, we have to, we have to, to respond out of that. Wherever we happen to be this election day, or this election season, we have to go off what Christ is doing in us. I think we've also all met the, the, the Christian maybe who's like 75. And it seems like they're saying the exact same things, thinking the exact same ways that they were 40, 50 years ago. 
right? Like, like if Christ is forming us, there's also an invitation that he's going to change us in some ways. Right. And that's the part that's a little bit more uncomfortable because sometimes I feel like maybe we're being more formed by our political party than we are by Christ because we just sort of are always lockstep with whatever they're talking about. And then it's like, well, is Christ forming us? Is he challenging me? When was the last time I changed my opinion on anything? I think it's a valid question to ask as we invite Jesus to shape and form our conscience in a way that influences how we participate um, in our civil discourse, right? So like, I don't know, I just, I think it's, it's, it's an invitation as we invite Jesus to shape us that he might ask us to change over the longer term. And we don't, I don't think any of us really like that. Right. We like doing what's comfortable, what we've always done. Man. I don't know how that works. That's so true. It, what that also has to allow for, as we're dynamic beings, being renewed daily uh, in the image of our creator, is that we might see it differently four years from now. Or 16 years from now, Christ's formation of our conscience might have brought an issue to the top of our priority scale that was lower or not on our radar at all four years prior because of what Jesus is revealing, refining, and uh, creating in us, right? So is that allowed? Are we allowed to vote as imperfect forming humans? I think it's the only way we can vote. I think that's a sign, man, personally, I think that's a sign that you're following a person and that and that Jesus is actually forming us, right? The, the ability to be able to be dynamic in our conscience and what God is doing in us. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes we might think that, um, depending on the issue, right, that if I think the same thing I did 50 years ago, that I'm loyal. Well, maybe you're stuck. Maybe maybe you stopped growing, you know? So I think that a sign of maturity is di- is, is, is the dynamic nature of Christ maybe saying, hey, this used, you, didn't, you, you used to not think this was that important, but in this season, it's on my heart in a way that wasn't before. And maybe that's a sign of growth and maturity and, and, and God continuing to shape us because he's never done shaping us into who he's called us to be. So what this requires of us living in community as we do, it is to have grace with one another and to the extent that we share our votes and our ideology to allow that what Christ is doing in you is your business and what Christ is doing in me is mine, that the same Jesus is redeeming you who is redeeming me. And it's not my place to judge what, you understand to be the outworking of or the expression of Jesus' renewal in you right now, what grace you have. There will be um, some, and and I may be one, who finds the absolute value, if you want to use mathematical terms, of one issue to be simply larger than the absolute value of others. Um, and, And there is a word, right? It starts with an A. It ends with a abortion (laughs) that we'll need to talk about. It's kind of the elephant in the political room for Christians. And it is important. It is of great value in God's sight, the the life of human beings. And it must be something that we take seriously if we're followers of Jesus. Absolutely. Um, and, And so... We're not going to talk about everything there is to talk about in this episode. That teases the next one. Yeah. The fact is, though, that there is a grace with which Jesus approaches us. Jesus didn't demand that Matthew, um, at least what we have in Scripture, renounce all of his tax collector ways, repent to everybody, stop being 
like he was <laughs> and start being like somebody else was before he joined me. Just said, join us and let, and, and grow in me as you go. Mm-hmm. And we're all growing in Jesus and in our understanding as we go and to vote our Christ formed conscience, not personality, not popularity, right, right. not the right. way we feel. Those are less valuable bases. I think as representatives of Jesus, um, than maybe Jesus deserves, mm-hmm. but, um, voting on ideas on policy, uh, directions, yeah. choosing a vision for the country. And then maybe, uh, secondary to that voting on our understanding of leadership. You know, we're not just voting for a a policy robot. We're voting for a human (laughs) to express leadership. The scriptures say if a man's gift or a woman's gift is leadership, let them lead. And and the implicit uh, uh, inverse of that is if a person isn't gifted in leadership, maybe they shouldn't lead. Don't let them lead. (laughs) Right. And so the, the ability, the gifting to lead is important. The, the, the elected representative of our, of our country, I believe, is more, and I believe scripture um, would, would validate, is more than the sum of her or his policy parts. Yeah. And so uh, policy and a, a vision for the future, one, leadership, two, and then like personality, feelings, things like that, a distant third, those things come and go uh, and can be genuinely warm or egregious. Um, but within a, a framework, something like that, there must be latitude in the family of God for us to vote our Christ form conscience and allow our sisters and brothers to do the same with charity, mutual respect, and enduring love. Absolutely. And as, man, so well said. And as you do that, I, I, me and you were talking about this um, a few weeks ago, that just as you, as I eventually here in the next few days or whatever, pull that, you know, ballot out of that envelope and bubble in stuff, like no matter what I do on all those bubbles, when I seal it up and drop it off in the container, there's a, there's a, I think a certain amount of like holy grief in that. I love that. Like I know that I'm acting out of my Christ form conscience on God, what I feel like you're asking me to do or asking me to be in this season. But I know that I'm not containing all of what you care about and on, I this, know on this little sheet of paper. with Whatever hope this person and his or her ideology and political party infrastructure might offer our nation is pale and fleeting compared to the hope of the world that is in Jesus. No human is able to give us what we seek. And there ought to be, I love that phrase, a holy grief in making a choice. You know, a cynic would say, I'm choosing the lesser of two evils, or uh, I'm holding my nose in voting. And while I don't care for those expressions because they denigrate the process, and I think the process is as ennobled is as noble as we ennoble it. Mm -hmm. But I think there is some truth behind the cynicism, which is that there should be some consternation. There, I think, must be some holy grief if we're going to give to Caesar what is Caesar's in the voting booth and give to God what is God's. George, you get the last one. And I even hear the... the, a fallacy in my own argument, the way I'm presenting this. And, and, and the way we talked about it before was that while God's heart might be re- represented in this party, there's another part of God's heart that is represented in the other, um, that you're inherently going to miss out on voting for those things, right? By choosing one or the other. But I think within that, it's not that all of God's heart is represented when you put them both <laughs> together. It's a portion uh, <laughs> out between two political parties. Like if you could 63% into that, like, God's heart in this party. and <laughs> Like both of these together. If you put them all together, 
God's kingdom and way and heart is so much bigger than our one singular nation's two major political parties. And there are so many of God's values that are represented by neither by of neither. our neither. That's my point. Parties. Like, so it's not, it's not, it's, there's a, there's a, hey, I'm doing my best. There's a grief in this. God, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, but recognizing that there's so much more you want to do in this place uh, than, re- than it's represented in either of these parties. So take my vote, take my participation and, and, and use it. But ultimately, all these folks that are serving in these capacities are going to be gone in a few years, and there'll be a whole new set. So we're going to need your help today, and we're going to need it in two years and four years and 10 years, and we're, we're never going to stop needing uh, your help as we continue to express the kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. So I don't know. That's not really a great last word, but maybe that's the last word. You want to pray us out? Lots more to talk about on this. We'll be back with new episodes over the next three weeks between now and Election Day on the subject of living for Jesus in the public square. Jesus, help us. We need you. Amen. Amen. I've got nothing else. Man, we love you all so much. May God give us grace as we do the hard, selfless work of self-governance. God has entrusted this responsibility to us as his people and as citizens and residents of this country in this time. Let's take it seriously and let's give our hearts to Jesus alone. Amen. We love you all and we'll talk to you soon. 